Damo, you big sweet tooth. Yes, MP, you chocoholic. So naughty but nice, we're a hit at the Wellness Summit and I want more. Well, how does 20 recipes in their free ebook Heavenly Healthy Desserts sound, MP? Jeepers, Damo, I'm loving that. Or you can hop on down to their brand new cafe, Selection Cafe in South Melbourne and receive 10% off your favourite healthy desserts. Woohoo! To do so, go to sonaughtybutnice.com forward slash couch and fill in your details to receive your free ebook and discount voucher. That's www.sonaughtybutnice.com forward slash couch. So naughty but nice. Delicious nutrition. Thewellnesscouch.com. Streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Backchat, exploring the five pillars of health with Dr. Paul Bergamo and Dr. Anthony Coxon. Welcome to Backchat. My name is Paul Bergamo and it's great to be here in our next podcast. Backchat is about being your best. It explores the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also in your neurology. Today, we're going to explore all five pillars in one. This is because our inspirational guest is someone who has overcome a significant health problem, and she will explain how chronic pain can affect all aspects of your health and well-being. To help me today, it is a great pleasure to introduce my fellow chiropractor and co-host, Dr. Anthony Coxon. G'day, Anthony. How are you going? Hi, Paul. I'm fantastic. Uh, it's good to be here. It's an interesting one uh, tonight with uh, our inspirational speaker and chronic pain. Yeah, look, it's uh, one we see a lot in our practices, don't we? We do. We're both obviously chiropractors, and I guess uh, I sort of break it up into sort of three groups of patients that okay. I would have. the uh, Those who have fairly you know, minor, short-lived uh, problems, uh, those who come in for wellness and proactive-type reasons, and of course, the, the, the chronic uh, clients and and Typically, the chronic ones are, are, are much harder to, to, to help, aren't they? They are, and I think what we're going to find out today with, uh, with Mandy, we're going to see someone who's gone through a personal experience and then the way she's sort of navigated with her mind and her brain to you know, move from a situation of daily pain to being in a better state uh, over, uh, over the long time period. I can't wait. Let's get into it. Well, for most of her life, Mandy Mercury has battled with chronic back pain, resulting from corrective surgery for scoliosis in her teens. Through self-education, determination, and compassionate acceptance, she now manages her pain without medication, using a holistic approach of mindset, movement, and healthy eating. Mandy is passionate about sharing her story in the hope it will inspire others to make changes, as she firmly believes it is, po- it is possible to have pain without suffering. Hi, Mandy. How are you going? Hi, guys. How are you? Mandy, it's so great to have you here, and thank you for taking time out to be on Backchat. Um, tell us, uh, give us a little bit of background of yourself. You obviously, as Paul has alluded to, um, have had some chronic pain issues with your, your scoliosis. How did this all start? Yeah, sure. Um, it started when I was about 11, and I always say that it started with my sister being a bit of a because I was the youngest of five children, and my older sister was studying PE at university and she was learning about this thing called scoliosis. So she came home and thought she'd try her diagnostic tools on her little sister and she made me bend forward and touch my toes and she was doing a lot of, hmm, yeah, okay, okay. She was, you know, sizing me up and then she ended up telling my mum that she thought that I had scoliosis and mum told her to not be ridiculous (laughs) and to go about her business and we just sort of put it on the back burner for a while but then we did go to the GP the next time and he did confirm that he thought I did have scoliosis and quite a severe case too and he sent me off to a specialist and with x-rays they yeah diagnosed 
quite a severe case of scoliosis. So we're looking at um, an S-shaped curve uh, with a cob angle above 50 degrees, which is usually putting you straight into the surgery uh, basket. Yes. So I did have an operation to correct it. And then I did have some bracing and lots of other different things and another co- another surgery to correct it again. Yeah. Um, and now my spine's straight and it looks really nice on an x-ray with lots of bolts and screws and things. Um, but it, there has been pain that has, has come from that surgery and it has come and gone throughout my whole life. Um, my approach has basically been to usually ignore it and just push through and do what I had to do, put on a happy face and just try my best to uh, work my way through it. I would, if I felt good, I would do lots and lots of things. And if I had pain, I would pretty much bail up on the couch and do nothing. So um, I sought lots of different solutions for the pain, most of them outside of myself, looking at different uh, experts and trying to get as many different um, approaches as I could. But uh, in the long term, it was a slow downhill battle for me. And after my first child was born, I um, I really started to struggle. There was there was breastfeeding and carrying a, a baby, and the pain just kept getting worse and worse. And my my mood kept going downhill. Uh, I think I was you know bordering on depression, and I was I got to a point where I thought you know people in my life would probably be better off without me. Wow, that's pretty deep. Well, uh, one thing I hope your eleven-year-old uh, um, sister at the time who made the diagnosis has gone on to be a health practitioner. She obviously has a keen sense uh, of uh, these things. So you, you you had your first surgery. How old did you say your first surgery was? I was eleven. Eleven, and then the next surgery yep. was uh, sixteen. Sixteen. So that's a you know you think about uh, girls at that time of uh, of their life. You know they're very conscious of the way they look and yeah. present that must have been uh you know created a whole range of different uh you know emotional issues i would imagine at the time yeah well i remember my orthopedic surgeon saying that uh, i needed to have surgery mainly for the aesthetics of the of the of the curve he said you know if you want to look nice in some bikinis you need to get this fixed so that you don't look all out of shape and at the time i just, we just did whatever the doctor said so we went along with it but um uh you know Nowadays, I sort of think, looking back, um, you know, we didn't really look at any other approaches. It was just uh, we just did whatever the doctor told us at the time. But yeah. Oh, look, and I think I suppose you know at that age, with the, with the spine still developing, there's there is dangers not beyond the cosmetic. There are dangers uh, for organ function as well. So it's uh, one of those sort of areas with that sort of high cob angle. That surgery is something which is uh, outside bracing nowadays. Uh, which would be tried for a period of three to six months, there may still be a requirement for surgery, I suppose. Well, and it's also because um, as scoliosis typically develops over those teenage years, doesn't it? And you had your first surgery. You said your cob angle was at 50 degrees at 11 years old. That's yeah, a severe uh, uh, curvature. Yeah, and at 11, you might expect that that could possibly get worse and yeah. compress around and create, create potential cardiovascular and respiratory problems just, as well. Just one interesting question, Mandy. Did, did you get a lot of counselling then? Because could you imagine just, I mean, that, that's just, that in itself is amazing to yeah. go through to have that sort of situation where you're having surgery. I mean, at any stage is significant, isn't it, Anthony? But, you know, at that stage when you're, you know, quite young and, and teenager sort of years, did you have a lot of counselling about that process back then or probably not by the sounds of it? Uh, no, nah, definitely not. I, I remember quite distinctly my mum and, and I driving home from the GP that first time we went and got diagnosed and we were both just 
bawling our eyes out because basically he had said to to us he was a bit in the in the dark ages he'd sort of said we were going I was going to have to have surgery and I was going to have to be, be in a brace and lying on my back for six months and wow. we were yeah. just in shock we just thought what this is unbelievable but uh yeah there wasn't really counseling <laughs> or anything like that it was just we just kind of went ahead and did what we got told to do so yeah. So you described as you went forward and having having your first child, and I suppose what what was the key to making some changes for you? Because you sounded like you 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 reached a situation where you were pretty flat. What yeah, uh, started yeah, very, I was. Um, it was about six months after my daughter was born, and the pain was just was just getting very very severe. It was it was almost daily basis. I was in this really really depressed, uh, dark place. I felt I felt very alone. I felt very sorry for myself. I was always uh, just, I just was struggling with day-to-day activities. I just didn't think that I was being a very good mother. Um, I was always crying all the time. I probably had hormones going a bit crazy at that time as well. Um, and it ended up being a conversation with my husband, which was a big turning point. He uh, he was was finding it very hard as well. He was coming home most days to me crying mess and just wanting to hand over the baby and, and go to bed. And so we ended up having a a pretty deep and meaningful conversation about what was going on and he said some words to me that ended up really breaking through to me and he said that his darkest days were when I was in a really bad emotional state with my pain and I don't know what it was about that kind of turn of phrase. He's not the kind of guy that mixes up his words but it, it really broke through to me and made me realise that this is not just my problem, this state that I'd got myself into and this the way that I was my pain didn't just affect me it affected him and it was going to obviously in a long term affect my child as well and I needed I needed to make a change I just couldn't go on like this so I I had to change my approach and I needed to get some help and support so we went off to the GP and and asked for help and he was great he was very close to diagnosing postnatal depression because of the state that I had just worked myself up to with with the pain um but with the way we just sort of talked through it, I made it very clear to him that it was pain that was the problem. It wasn't anything to do with with um, with the baby. So he he referred me to a pain management clinic at St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne. There was a six month wait list <laughs> to get into that, and then I initially saw some psychologists there, and they suggested I do their three week intensive program, which is a uh, was a massive massive program to do. It was uh, nine to five five days a week for three weeks. They taught you all these different techniques and approaches to managing pain and they encouraged me to come off all my medication, wow. which was pretty massive. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so what were, what were you taking at that time, um, Andy? Um, so I was on a, a Norspan patch, which is just a um, something that's applied to the arm that's a morphine-based drug that just slowly drip feeds you morphine throughout the day and so it was pretty it was pretty high dose as well and so to come off that medication was not an easy process it wasn't just a matter of peeling the patch off and being done with it because it was essentially like coming off heroin from what I've heard (laughs) Um, it was a really really tough process and and I had to stage the decrease in that drug very very carefully to ensure that I my body was able to handle the decrease and I guess this is like a, a the chronic pain type clinic. It's not just about getting intensive therapy for uh, a few weeks. Uh, you mentioned before what you learnt, you know, or what they taught, and that's really what it's about, isn't it? It's about empowering you with strategies to deal with chronic pain. So, what are the, some of the things that you felt were really critical for you in terms of your your learning experience there? Yeah, sure. It was it was 
it was great. I mean, they taught us lots of different things. They taught us about pain science. They taught us about long-term use of medication and why that was not effective. Um, but the main thing that I got from it was that I actually had some power over my situation. And I think when I'd been struggling with chronic pain for 20 years by that stage and so I, I had this, I felt like pain was just ruling my life and I had no control over it. But I learned that I could actually have some control over lots of different aspects of my pain. My previous approach was all wrong. I had the ability to control my thoughts and the way I actually reacted to pain. Um, I, I determined which thoughts were helpful and which thoughts were unhelpful and unhelpful thoughts, things like catastrophizing and which is an example like I might, um, you know, do some sort of movement and twinge my back and, and for me that would be, oh, here we go, I've, you know, I've broken a rod in my back or, or this is going yeah. to be some really long-term problem um, or there would be lots of generalisation. So I would, I would be thinking things like I hate this pain, uh, it's always there, I wish I could, um, you know, I felt like I could never achieve things and so it was a lot of generalisation. A lot of these thoughts were not helpful but I could actually change them and I could actually have some control over them and the effect that they would have on my emotional state. Um, and then there was a lot of actual physical techniques like pacing, um, mindfulness and, um, and, um, and, and the big thing that I did learn as well is that I, that I could manage my pain without medication because in that process of that three-week period I came off the medication and I survived. I'm, I was still yeah. able to do it. I was still able to go day to day without the medication, which was a pretty big deal. Now, Anthony, can I just sort of digress a little bit here? Because what this lady's done, and that was probably the peak 20 years ago. Is that right, Mandy? About 20 years ago? Yeah. Oh, so, so this this happened about six years ago, but there was 20 years of ongoing pain and, and complications before that. Okay. So if you look at the, the challenges she's had over two decades, and now about three weeks ago... Uh, Mandy organised for Chronic Pain Week a uh, get-together with uh, six speakers and our clinic was very fortunate to have myself talk nutrition and Dr Linda's talk neuroplasticity, but we also had a collaboration with some physiotherapists in the area. We had uh, Dr Stephen McKenzie, who we're going to be interviewing later on, on back chat talking about mindfulness. Um, we had some personal experience. It was Christine, was it? Chris, Carolyn Gray. Carolyn Gray. Excuse yep. me, sorry, Carolyn. You, you <laughs> describe her personal experience, and you know the, the central theme of the whole uh, three to four hours that we were there was the start of the process of looking at self care. Yeah. And what I can see already from this is that was almost as a fair to say probably the first fundamental step where you perhaps move from disempowering to an empowered sort of position by you taking control. Is that a is that a fair comment, Mandy? Yeah, for sure, and that's what I wanted to get out of that day. I wanted people to know that they actually do have control over the way they're feeling about their pain and because that was the big turning point for me. I just felt like this was happening to me. I had no control over it. But the way I responded to pain and the things that I could actually do to reduce pain, um, you know, there were techniques there that were helpful and, and that's what I wanted to get across to other people. And it's fantastic to have someone who's gone through it because when you've got an audience of 50 or so people who are going through chronic pain, you know, we can talk about it, but when you've got someone who's going through it and been through it... Yeah, they've lived it. They've yeah, lived it. They've, walk, they've so walked meaningful. that journey that so many other people are, uh, are in. And that's really... I mean, it's two things they're releasing. It, is it's knowledge, is empowerment, yes. and that feeling that 
you have a sense of control. And it might not even be a total control, but you can influence it. You have a you have a role to play. You know, you're not totally a victim in this situation. And interesting how the psychologist sort of got in there straight away early and thought, okay, we've got to now change the shift of what's going on here regards perhaps the chronic sort of dependence of pain medications yeah. and start to move away from that and use other techniques, you know, in a, in a controlled environment, you know, yeah. and it needs to be a controlled environment when, when one's been on chronic medications. Uh, Mandy, can I ask what, what some of your big fears were about managing your pain? Yeah, for sure. I think looking back uh, in hindsight, I've realised that fear played a really big role. Probably at the time I might not have been aware of it, but I was constantly in fear of of getting pain and having pain so the fear of pain itself was probably a really big thing so I would do anything that I could possibly do to avoid feeling pain or getting a flare-up I would try and go and see as many people as I can to try and convince them they had to take away my pain somehow magically Um, I really never ever wanted to just sit and be with my pain or focus on it so um, I really had very little understanding of what it was like to 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 uh, to experience the pain as such. Um, I also had a really big fear of movement because I thought that movement increased my pain, uh, which actually wasn't the case. It was more about the way I went about moving. So I would go from doing very little uh, to doing very uh, a lot of movement in in a very with uh, and that would cause pain and so I would always link it back to the movement I did but it was really the way I moved so um, I would play netball rush on the court you know throw on my uniform quickly play a game go hard as I could at it and uh, and wonder why the next day I had pain but I really didn't look at slow and steady approach to movement or uh, stretching Um, so I did have a very big fear of movement and I had a fear also of what other people were thinking of me. I, I really very rarely told what was the true story of what was happening with my pain. Um, right, yeah. I didn't really share the thoughts that I was going through or the, the situation that I was going through because I was really worried that people would think that I was weak or that I was uh, I didn't want them to know how much I was struggling. And I think that fear was, was um, led to a lot of re- relationships becoming quite strained and stressed because – I didn't want them to know what I was going through because I was I was really struggling and not coping and so I would withdraw and not really talk about it that much. They wanted to help me but didn't know what to do so it ended up putting a lot of strain on relationships and I think when I did eventually come to the point of learning <clears throat> excuse me, that I had control over my pain, I still was a little bit scared about making those changes because I had dealt with this situation for 20 years and I was really quite scared that I wasn't going to be able to break these bad habits that I've fallen into. Yeah, you mentioned uh, movement before, and obviously, as chiropractors, movement's essential to, to what we do. And essential. we've in, yep. interviewed so many people that have uh, that talked about the, uh, the you know the, about getting out of the chair. And of course, we've had a discussion just before coming on air tonight about how um, how important it is for you to move out of your chair and get moving, Mandy. So um, obviously this is a, a real critical <laughs> element. Um, what, what sort of specific things, can you, can you explore a little bit more about, you know, what movements specifically you felt were problematic and how you change your movement to, to make it work better for you? Yeah, I think... I think really, and that's thank you for reminding me because I have just actually moved out of my chair and, and doing <laughs> a few little stretches actually, as I'm yeah. talking. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think that I was I was actually I was avoiding I was avoiding movement because, um, as I had said, it, it, I thought that it always relate uh, related to pain, um, but it was the way I went about it 
um, I was I was having really long periods of inactivity and then really big bursts of, of lots of activity and um, and that often re resulted in a, in a quite a big bad flare-up for me for pain. Um, but the problem was I didn't actually do consistent everyday movement, which is what I now do. I do things like stretching every day and, and lots of moving. Um, and the other big thing was was probably an understanding of pacing and, and figuring out what I could do within my limitations um, that wouldn't cause pain. So what is the minimum amount of movement that I can do to not cause pain and that have that as a little baseline or a little bit of a gauge of what I can do and then slowly building up from there. Okay. Um, so, so just as an example in my pain management course, for example, um, something like sitting, like as I said, we've been sitting for a long time and I've decided to move. So um, when we did that course, we had timers and we figured out how long we could actually sit before pain started to affect us. And for me, that was one minute or less, I think, when I was doing that course. And so, um, you know, you sit down and watch a movie for two hours and, of course, you're going to get pain. So um, it was figuring out what are these minimum amounts of movement that I can do before pain would occur. It's an interesting thing. It's almost a bit of a cultural thing, really, because I have these conversations often with patients in terms of, you know, if you're sitting down at a board meeting, yes. um, it, it's don't just stay there. You know, just if you need to explain to people, look, I've, I've got a sore back. My chiropractor suggested I get up and move recently, or, or, or often. Uh, it, it's breaking that mold. People are used to just, you know, this is what I do. This is I sit. If you go to a chiropractic conference uh, these days, what happens? What, what happens within about 15 minutes while the speaker's uh, going along? There, Paul. Well, depending on, depending on the stage of the for me, it could be I could be asleep, but uh, <laughs> hopefully not. No, of course not. Um, you know, regards movement. Yeah, yeah. People are getting out, up and they? about. Yeah, you get you get someone doing stretches in the corner, and, and it's all. And I, I think um, we've almost started to go beyond the point where the speaker giving the presentation up there doesn't feel offended that yes. their message isn't getting across. Yes, whatever yes, that message what might saying. be, they get used to people moving. And I think this yeah. is a cultural shift that we're just starting to make, but it has to go a whole lot further where people just get used to and accepting the fact that people are meant to move. That's what happens. Well, I suppose there's a bit of a shift towards a standing workstation now that's starting to come through a little bit more so. And, you know, if you look at... Um, you know, local gymnasiums now, you've got stuff all set up where you can be around and, and, and moving about. Um, you're not sort of necessarily locked in a, in a, in a situation in a, in a bike now. You move on treadmills and treadmills are used uh, now watching TV at home and people are sort of starting to get moving more so regards being statically sitting on the old sofa, aren't they? Really? It's the way to go, no doubt about it. <laughs> Excellent. So when we compare to, say, perhaps six years ago, Mandy, what, what was perhaps the key difference, the way you sort of managed your pain levels to perhaps compared to today? Yeah, I think probably the key thing that I that I think is worth mentioning is, is the pain still there. So the pain hasn't gone away um, as much as I would have liked it to. The pain is still there, but the difference is now I actually respond to my pain. I don't react to my pain. And I think if I think of six years ago, my reaction was always resistance and avoidance. So... I didn't want pain, so I would do whatever I could to get out of it or avoid it. Um, I was always chasing this unrealistic goal of being pain-free, and I didn't have a very good awareness of, of my body and what kind of things uh, affected my pain. But um, now I respond with kind of a bit more of a compassionate acceptance of pain being part of my life. I've learnt some strategies now to help me with deal with my pain, and I work within the limits that I have uh, given my condition. And I'm a lot more aware of what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and I make much more wise choices now because I'm doing – because, as I said, I'm responding to pain rather than reacting. 
So, you know, the classic sort of psychology of fear avoidance behavior, that, was, that sounds like that was part of how you sort of were managing your chronic pain in the earlier parts of your time of having this and, you know, seeing fear by not doing anything versus a concept where you move towards pacing, trial and error, trying to say, okay, where can I sort of uh, challenge my body to a certain point where it can cope and then building the reserve? Is that sort of how you've shifted in your thinking? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Probably because I was so busy avoiding avoiding pain, I, I really had no understanding of, of what my own capabilities were because I pushed beyond them every, t- every time. If I wanted to do something, if I had pain or no pain, I, I would do it regardless. And so now I know what those limits are and I know when to stop, <laughs> whereas probably previously I would just barge along and keep going regardless and put myself into a bit of a heap. Now I... I have a very religious use of a timer and if things are, if I'm sitting for too long or standing for too long, I'll, I'll stop and I'll move and I, I make much more wise choices these days. I must admit I, I'm not, uh, I, I know Paul, you're right into your technology, you love all this sort of stuff, but uh, the, the some of the gadgets they got these days with Fitbits and yes. Garmin's and so yes. forth that yes. give you the little, the red line goes across when you've been <laughs> sitting for a certain time, I mean it's, it, it's, it's the way of the future, I guess. You know, we're all into technology these days, but it is a great little um, a device to actually help you remind people to get moving, isn't it? Well, it's a quantitative measure, yeah. you know. So, you know, we need metrics to measure everything we do, don't we, to some degree. So suddenly we've got something we can quantify. And uh, especially, I suppose, often when you find some people who maps a bit overweight, for instance, they might, you know, they might be the accountant, someone who sits down all day and does n- numerical things all the time with metrics and numbers. And then you give them something like a pedometer to them, they can sort of measure and relate to yeah. numbers. And yeah. suddenly they gave them a situation, well, now I have to reach 10,000 steps and do yeah. this because yeah. it's something they can relate to numerically. And, you know, I've seen many patients have gone from very static lifestyles, having a number to achieve and then trying to achieve it and then actually inspiring others around them in absolutely. their family. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. can be something very Jump impressive. Jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you're obviously a, a, you know, a smarter and wiser person in terms of managing your pain and I, and, and I um, loved what you said uh, earlier in terms of, you know, how you, it, it, there's a difference between pain and suffering. Uh, you know, you've learned to, ma- to you know, with, to, to manage things. What's your day-to-day routine like now and how do you get through the day and what sort of things do you do? Yeah, well, routine is very important to me and it's very important to maintain. So I am pretty strict with with what I do on a day-to-day basis because I know that if I don't stick to my routine, I usually will get a pain flare-up. So it's more important to me to stick to the routine um, um, to try and avoid that, I suppose. But it's... It's probably a constantly changing routine because I've got young children and we've also just got a puppy in the house. So, you know, the, the times that I do things might change, but there's also always a pretty consistent routine which involves always doing some sort of movement in the day, whether that's just some light stretching or a walk or, or something a little bit more uh, rigorous. Then there's always exercise or movement involved in the day. Um, and there's always some period of mindfulness practice where possible and that might be a formal meditation or it might be just um, sort of mindfulness in daily life, uh, trying to connect with my senses and being in the present moment, uh, trying to be aware of what my thoughts are and, and trying to be a bit more gentle and kinder to myself. And as I said before, there will always be a timer somewhere in my day. So uh, if it, if I do have to do work that da- in a day, it will involve a timer and sitting for 10, 20 minutes getting up, doing some stretches, moving around and, and starting again. So 
I've got on a day-to-day basis now a lot more realistic kind of achievements of what I'm going to get done. Um, but the days are very similar now. So day in, day out, I do the same amount of activity, whereas in the past it might have been a real up-and-down cycle of lots of activity with a big slump when I'm not feeling so good. So it's regular and consistent, which I think is really important. Now, Anthony, we've done a few podcasts now and there's a bit of a theme here as in regards <coughs> health, you know, the priority of health and the investment that one has to do in one's health. And mm. you can see from Mandy's situation where it's uh, there's a lot of investment in, in her day to set up her day so that she can get the best out of her day and using little strategic sort of methods and processes to make sure she can achieve those sort of things, don't you think? Yeah, look, absolutely. And, and it's, it's a shame that it's taken so long you know that you know so much of her and i'm sure that uh, look we don't, i'm sure you don't have any regrets but if you were to have one i suspect it would be that you didn't get this information earlier because clearly you're an empowered woman now and um and that wasn't the case you know yeah but look at the great thing what Mandy's done too is now she's taken her message to her community yep. and you know so you can see that other people can pick up that message earlier and you know we all know there's certain times you've got to get that message and the message is right you yes. know you know we might she might might have you may man Mandy, you probably heard the message many times beforehand, but maybe your space wasn't in the right place to hear the message. Is that a fair comment or I think I think it definitely is. And when I did do the pain management course and I got all this information and I made these changes, there was a period where I did, you know, beat myself up a little bit and think, Well, why didn't I do this sooner? Uh, you know, like you said, Anthony, it was twenty years that I kind of struggled along. Um, and it's also why didn't I get this information or why didn't I take it in earlier? But there's kind of no point dwelling on that, that's so right. I just it's just sort of thought, yeah, I'm doing it now, and that's the main thing. So it's been a journey. There's no question about that, and you know, there's going to always be ups and downs. So I suppose going forward, and we've seen how far you've come, which is really amazing. What are your sort of challenges going forward? Do you think? Um, yeah, well, I, I do want to point out to people that I'm not. I'm definitely not perfect, and I still do have periods when I, you know, fall a little bit behind in my in my. Um, in my pain management approaches and so there are things that still I find a bit of a challenge and one thing is is overdoing it so there will still be times when I take on a little bit too much and you know I've started a business I've got young children um, I do often find myself in a bit of a situation of overwhelm that <laughs> um, there's too much to do and I don't have enough energy or whatever it might be um, but I'm getting a lot better at responding to that and just acknowledging that yes I've got a lot on I feel a bit overwhelmed I'll just take a little bit of a break. I'll, I'll do something. And I think that's been a really good um, thing that I've learned that when I do feel overwhelmed, that it, it's just just get started, just do something. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you can't get anything done by sitting around worrying about it. So I, I just um, do these small little, you know, bits and pieces just to start off on a, on a list if I've got lots on, on, the, on for the day. Um, and I'm also still struggling a little bit with being mindful of my movement throughout the day so one one thing that I do know that I um, if I'm not being aware of what I'm thinking or what I'm doing and acting on autopilot I can uh, I can do movements incorrectly so perhaps not ergonomically I might you know pick something up off the floor picking up after the kids and and just bend from the hips and, and not bend from the knees and so that can sometimes result in increasing pain so just being aware of how I'm doing things as I'm going about the day is still something that I'm struggling with, but I'm trying to be as mindful as I can and, and aware of that. 
So, um, and thank you so much for sharing, you know, your journey with us. It's been really enlightening, Mandy. Um, so many people, when they have these sorts of experiences, uh, talk about um, a particular moment in time where, you know, a salient point or, or, or yep. a particular aspect of your life, maybe something that someone said to you, maybe an experience that you had that you feel really turned things around. I mean, you've probably mentioned yeah, a number husband, of them already yeah. with your husband, with your chronic yeah. pain uh, course. Is there something that you really feel if you had to put your finger on one thing, uh, that yeah, that's the thing that really made the difference for me? Um, it, it is a bit hard because there's probably been lots of things. Um, I know that acceptance has been a big part of it and I can't actually say that there was one day when I just woke up and thought, right, I'm going to accept that I've got pain and I'm going to have it for the rest of my life and what am I going to do about it? But because there was that such a long period of avoidance and, um, and resistance to pain, to actually learn to accept pain has been a really key for me and been really important to focus on finding solutions and what I can do and, and giving up on this resistance and fighting pain. So that has been a gradual process, I suppose, to accept pain. Um, and I think it's really important to probably point out that I think my whole process, this whole journey has always been about small steps. So I'd like to say that there was some big pivotal moment where it all changed, but it, it actually has been quite a, a boring approach. It's not been a quick fix. Um, even though I've explained my story sort of in a short period of time now, uh, I think that it's been really about slow, small, incremental steps. And, you know, I might have come forward and gone backwards a couple of times, but it's really been quite a slow, slow journey of just, you know, plugging away and turning up. <laughs> it sounds like it's just been inch by inch all the way then for you, yep. obviously. Who are the people in your life now that sort of help you through the day, whether they're sort of, you know, family or health practitioners or, you know, people who help you manage your chronic pain? Yeah, I've been very, very fortunate to have a good support team and, and definitely my husband has been massive in the whole process, supporting me along the way, um, lifting me up when I've fallen down and he's actually probably the one that will push me out the door when I'm when I'm even, you know, feeling a bit weak and not like doing stuff. He'll he'll send me to my room for a meditation if he thinks that's what I need and he, he just kinda knows what I need in the moment, which has been really, really great and I've been very fortunate to have him along with the with me for the whole ride, um, and I've also got good support from from my family. So they have been very helpful. With um, they'll often look after my kids while I'm going off to do a, a walk or something that I know will be helpful for my pain. Um, so I have been very very lucky lucky to have a good support team. But I think um, in terms of um, you know, other people getting support, I think that it's really good to have knowledge and that's been a big part of my journey is actually finding out the key information that I needed um, through that pain management course and, and through other um, avenues is, is knowing that I was supported with knowledge as well. And other practitioners? So you, you, I think you, you, you see Dr. Brad Atkinson chiropractically and... I do. So chiropractic's been a bit of a recent one for me because uh, I, as I said, you know, knowledge was a big part of it and for a long time I had no understanding of what chiropractic was um, and when I did become enlightened as to what chiropractors do, I did seek one out and, and he has been very helpful in my journey. I did go to him with a very, um, I was very open about it and I said, look, I don't think you're going to take my pain away but like I think you can make me be overall, overall you can improve my wellness and that was the goal. So yeah. I didn't uh, set myself up for failure or him up for failure by saying, please take away my pain magically. So we've, we've got a really good relationship where we just um, 
with that that's the aim is to improve my wellness overall and and other practitioners so do you see other practitioners or is it more Um, self-driven not really to be honest I think um I think uh, I always say that I self-manage my pain so a lot of the things that I do to help with my pain are things that I do um I get support along the way from practitioners in terms of you know maybe an odd massage and and going to get regular chiropractic adjustments and that kind of thing but um, a lot of the stuff on a day-to-day basis is just is just me doing what I know I need to do in a moment. Excellent. So, you, so you are an inspiration, and you're going to have a lot of people on back chat here and overseas, especially in the US. We've got uh, a fair coverage in the US at the minute, and so chronic pain is something where some listeners will be hearing to this, uh, looking for looking for perhaps some take-home messages that you could perhaps give to our back chat audience. Maybe three, if you could. Maybe your top three. Uh, that you yeah. could share? Yeah, sure. So I probably have mentioned a few bits and pieces throughout That's the time, okay. but I suppose if I was going to pick a top one, I, I would come back to the, the fact that I have learned that you can have pain without suffering. And so the, a lot of the suffering components comes along with the things that we add on to pain. And so it's things like the negative thoughts and the um, inactivity and and a, and a lot of things that it can actually be controlled. So I think that that's been a key learning for me and I'd like other people to understand that I think you can have pain without suffering um, when you get that knowledge and support. And that's another thing I think that, that support is needed. It's not something that you can just sort of do by yourself. It's, it is actually a really hard process and you need to know um, about pain science. You need to know what, what the evidence-based techniques are. So support's definitely needed. Um you can have the pain without suffering, uh, but the main probably thing that I want people to know is is that they have power and they have control, and they just need to figure out uh, what what to do to help themselves. And I encourage people to do that where possible. Well, fantastic, Manny. I mean, that's really inspirational. I think it's been terrific hearing someone who's gone for, and, and taken us from early stage of the diagnosis. The challenges with the diagnosis, challenges with having you know, a mother with a family, support networks, uh, mindfulness changes, movement changes. There's been a, it's been a lot, hasn't it? Yeah, it's not just one thing, is it? It's really a, a broad spectrum approach, and having the the confidence to know in your own body that you can actually make some changes. I think that's obviously very important, and and I think I'm sure as well as just being interest for everybody. I think certainly, Mandy, you know the people out there who are chronic pain sufferers will be really, uh, really happy to hear your message and I would encourage you to keep getting that message out there. You're doing a great job. Well, thank you, Manny. Thank for you. Sh- Thanks thank- for your support. Excellent. Now, thank you for sharing your wisdom and personal story with our Backchat li- listeners. Now, interestingly, Anthony, The Wellness Couch, in conjunction with Mandy, are publishing a book on everyday heroes who have taken significant steps forward in their health and who have used The Wellness Couch as a vital tool in helping them make those changes. So if you're one of them, would like to offer your story for for the book, go to www.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash book and follow the prompt. So Mandy, that's something you're something you're doing with uh, the crew? Yeah, I think that um, as I said, education was a big part for me and, and I listened to heaps of podcasts along the way on my journey and I used them to educate myself and I think that um, there's probably lots of other people out there that are doing the same thing, that they're, they're managing their own health, they're finding out information via various various um, uh, education avenues like podcasts and so we want to get those stories out to more people because they can be 
very inspiring to just hear of everyday people overcoming health challenges and, and doing it doing it themselves. Fantastic. Thank you, Mandy. Well, thank you for listening to Backchat. To stay abreast with updates with Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Backchat Podcast or our Instagram page at Backchat Podcast. If you like this show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We leave you with a thought. Be the best at what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat podcast. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.